If you watched the 126th Rose Parade three days ago, January 1st, you saw that at the head of the parade, there was a riderless horse. It was there to symbolize the Grand Marshal of this year's Rose Parade. Only the second time that uh, posthumously somebody has been honored in that uh, position, and that person was Louis Zamperini. The theme of the parade this year was inspiring stories. And of all the people they could choose, they chose Zamperini and said that his was some, they were quoted as saying it was the most inspirational American hero of the 20th century. That's high praise. A lot of you may have read, read the book uh, Unbroken, written by Laura Hillenbrand. It was released in 2010. It sold 5.5 million copies. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for more than three years, 160 weeks, number one for 14 years. Just last month, it reached number one on the USA Today bestselling list for the first time. It continues to sell with the release of the movie. Um, I got to tell you, I wasn't even familiar with that story. And some of you may have been, some of you may have not been uh, exposed to it in the past. But it will blow you away if you take a look at it and if you, if you read it, if you hear about it. We're going to take a look at some clips from the movie and some things about this guy, and it's going to illustrate something for us today. I mean, real life, because the reason we do this is so often art, they say, imitates life, but it also reflects life. What we, what we produce in our artwork, whether it's music or paintings or film or television, often reflects what's going on or what people are paying attention to in their world and in their culture. And the release of this movie and its popularity has touched on that again. I'm going to be in the Bible and, and invite you to take a look to maybe put your fingers in a couple different places or mark them on your device in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and Romans chapter 5. I'm going to show you some other things. But the story that is told in the book and partially in the movie represents something, some very, very vivid principles about life, real life, the life you and I live. We may not have gone to the Olympics. We may not have gone to war. Some of you may have. But the, the principles for life are really strong and vivid and powerful. And we're going to see what a few of those are. The very first of those is what they say motivated uh, the making of the movie. And the phrase has been used, it is to show the principle of the strength of the human spirit. There are words that get used to describe Louis Zamperini's life and his experience. Among them are perseverance determination, survival, and the phrase overcoming adversity. That was instilled, it seems, uh, in Zamperini in a very, from a very um, early day. He was 19 years old when he qualified coming out of nowhere for the 1936 Olympics. He was the, he was the roommate in those Olympics of Jesse Owens. And though he didn't win his event, he got the attention of Adolf Hitler, who was presiding over the games in Nazi Germany, who wanted to meet him because he was the, the boy with the fast finish, they said. Hitler shook his hand. Zamperini later climbed a flagpole and stole a Nazi flag and tore it down. Got in trouble for that. But listen to the end of this little clip where his brother, who he's get, when he's getting ready at 19 years old to go to the Olympics, figuring it's only the first of many, and what, is, what he says to him, which Zamperini says was exactly what was said to him at the time, and embedded itself in him. Take a look at this. Oh my God, I'm not going to win. So I know that. So I, four years time, 
Next Olympics, that's when I show him. This is just a tryout swing. Okay, Tokyo. Smart kid. Take care of yourself, all right? Mm-hmm. We're gonna have a little fun too, huh? Say I was pretty drunk for us one? You know. <laughs> The 1940 Olympics in Tokyo never happened. The world went to war. And Zamperini went to war against Japan. And the story has been told pretty extensively now about what he experienced on a, on a recovery mission. His plane went down in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Eleven men were on the plane. Eight of them died. Three of them remained and survived on life rafts. Zamperini was one of them. One of, more of those died before that time was over. They were in life rafts drifting 2,000 miles in open sea for 47 days. They were attacked by sharks. A plane that they thought was coming to rescue them turned out to be a Japanese uh, war plane and circled back at least for a half an hour shooting machine gun fire at them, riddling their, their rafts with boats. They had to try it. They had a pump. Amazingly, none of them were hit by the fire, but their boats were flattened. They had to pump that and patch them while they were trying to survive. They subsisted by catching baby sharks with their live hands, capturing rainwater. 47 days, Zamperini says he weighed 65 pounds when it was over. And they washed up on the shores of an island occupied by the Japanese. An island that was known as Execution Island. The prisoners were put to death. Zamperini was tortured there, but he was not killed when they recognized that he had some notoriety because of his Olympic history. 43 days on Execution Island, and then he was sent to internment in a slave prison camp for two and a half years, where he was mistreated in ways that we'll talk about more later. He was injected with experimental drugs. He was starved, he was beaten, he was tortured repeatedly. And then the war ended. Two couple of reflections. I, as I read about this, saw interviews about it, saw the film itself, I watched what that was experienced there. And I can, can I tell you what prevailing thought, profound, not, but I watched that and I thought this. I have never truly suffered. All the things that I complain about, all the real things, they bring pain. I have never truly suffered. And the question came to my mind, that I'll ask you. And maybe we could talk about it in cell groups. That would be, what, what would I be willing to suffer this much for? What would you be willing to suffer that much for since this has come out 
An entire movement has uh, come with the hashtag, I am unbroken, where people are invited to post videos of their stories of perseverance and the same mentality that says a moment of pain, a moment of pain. If I can take it, I can make it. There's some lessons that we get from that that we'll turn to see in the scripture in a little bit. First of all is this, that human beings built the way we are, created the way we are. We are capable of enormous amounts of perseverance through adversity. Far more than we think we are. There was an interview, Zamperini is a much older man, was asked about his experiences. He did a lot of interviews. And the phrase was used that his was called, has been called the greatest generation. You've probably heard that phrase before, the greatest generation. He said, yeah, I don't like that term. He says, the term I like better is we are the hearty generation. He talked about hardiness. He, was, he went to USC. He was an All-American and set records at USC. And he was interviewed on the campus of USC. And he said, we, we think of adversity as a negative in our country, don't we? It's something to be avoided. Pain is something to be avoided. He's, and this is what he said. Hardiness is the answer to a healthy and successful life. And every time you overcome adversity, he said, any form of adversity, you gain hardiness in your soul and in your character. And that shows us to, that takes us to Romans chapter 5. Because there's a principle in the Bible about being a human, which I think all of us in the room are. I don't like this any more than you do, but this is what God says about how we're created and what what can be true of us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, it says, We can rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces something. It produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. Now, the context of that is talking about suffering as somebody who's following God and his ways, who has a relationship with him through his son, who's enduring the things that come with and paying a price for that. But there's a truth about the human spirit in that. That when you overcome any kind of adversity, if you just make yourself hardy, it is the answer to a healthy and successful life. James put it this way. I think. I'm going to need your help, I think. Here we go. You know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's the fact about adversity. And I hope that you'll just think about the adversity that you have been through, the adversity that you might be going through or that you are about to go through. Under God's development of what humans are made to be, there is something that's true about that adversity. There will be another side of it you will get to the other side of it. There will always be the other side of it. It may be in this life, it may be after this life, but there will be an end to the adversity. And when we allow ourselves to go through it, God God calls it in Isaiah 30, he, he talks about God allows you to have the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. And then you hear his voice through that. That's the message And when Angelina Jolie chose to say she wanted to be the director of this movie, she sat with Louis Zamperini and take a look at what she had to say about that. What do you want to say about the message you're involved? For me, I think Louis has been very clear about what his message is, and certainly the book. And I think for my children, and for everybody, I want to be able to say, 
it can seem dark and it can seem hopeless and it can seem very overwhelming, but but the resilience and the strength of the human spirit is an extraordinary thing. Some of us in the room, some of you right now, are facing deep, deep adversity. Everything in you wants to cry out for it to be done. I mean, that's what our flesh wants, isn't it? When I'm in pain, what I want more than anything else is to get out of pain. That's my first priority in my flesh. God says, if you change your priority, the endurance that happens when you overcome adversity produces a hardiness in you, a perseverance that produces hope in somebody. There is a strength that comes internally in your heart. And here is what God says about that. As a created child of God, as somebody who has been made in his image, you can endure this. It is not stronger than you. It is not stronger than the one who can give you the strength to endure it. And it will produce a hardiness in you. Whatever form it might be, you may be going through a relational struggle that is ripping your heart out right now. You may be going through physical things that are challenging you and putting you in an uncertain future or somebody that you love. You may be going through financial issues that are crushing you and you don't see any way out of it. You may be just looking at your, your own problems within yourself and saying, I don't know where this is going. I don't know if I can take this. I can't take any more. Have you ever felt it or said it? God says this, as a human being under his creation, you can endure this. And when you do, on the other side of it, there is a hardiness that will be developed from the inside of you that will make you stronger than you've ever been before. That's what happens. That's what we saw depicted in this movie and in this man's life. But understand that that's not just all what it's about. There's a whole other layer that comes out of this too. Because it's not just the strength of the human spirit that's exhibited here. It's also this. It is the power of forgiveness. This is a story of forgiveness. Because this man endured this stuff and then he got back. And this was, um, it's depicted in, a, in this little scene you're about to see where from an early age he hears something that embeds itself somewhere deep in his psyche and he hears a message about where forgiveness comes from. Take a look. The runway's over 6,000 feet. We're going to need at least 10 for the guy on the brakes. God created two great lights. The greater light to rule over the day, and the lesser light to rule over the night. Now these things, light and dark, day, are separated from each other. God created each in its place. He did not create a battle between them. He said, I have created both of these things. You must live through the night. Don't battle with it. But God said, the night also is mine. He sent his son Jesus not to do battle. Not to wage war on the sins of man, but to forgive them. 
the gift of sin. Smile on the sinner. Accept the darkness. Live through the light. Love by When he was captured, Zamperini went to a, a Japanese prison of war camp that was led by a Japanese imperialist army sergeant named uh, Matsu, Matsuhiro Watanabe. They called him the bird. They had little phrases to describe these guys that they, if they were overheard wouldn't necessarily be called disparaging because they would suffer all the more. But this man, this sergeant, Watanabe, ha- had a, was known as a sadistic abuser of prisoners of war. They were absolutely convinced that he is, was psychotic. Here's some of what he did. He beat POWs every day. He fractured their windpipes, ruptured their eardrums, shattered their teeth. He tore one man's ear half off. He, le- he left men unconscious. He made one officer sit in a shack wearing only an undergarment for four days in the middle of winter. He tied a 65-year-old POW to a tree and left him there for days. He ordered one man to report him to be punched in the face every night for three weeks. He practiced judo on an appendectomy patient. He took special interest in Zamperini because of his notoriety. Because he had been an Olympian, he felt challenged by his authority. In 1945, after the war, General Douglas MacArthur listed the most wanted um, criminals, war criminals, Japanese criminals, 40 of them, and Watanabe was number 23 on that list. He went into hiding for seven years after the war and was never prosecuted. When it was all over and Zamperini returned home, he said there was just one compelling thing that obsessed him. It was to return and to kill Watanabe. What he said was, being Italian, I wanted revenge. Don't know what he's talking about. He was haunted by it. He was obsessed by it. He dreamt of it. He was filled with hate. And then something happened. And later on, he says that he not only chose to forgive them, but but to actually to return to Japan and seek to, to offer personal restoration with the people who had been his abusers, including Watanabe. At first, they all agreed. When he got there, Watanabe refused. He met with all of them except for him. He wound up writing a letter to him that, he was, that was never delivered but was read publicly. And his statement was that hate and grudges and revenge ingests a poison into the human soul. And the antidote, the only antidote for that, is forgiveness. He suffered with PTSD uh, after the war, and Zamperini went to get help about it, and he talked to a psychologist who told him that basically people who have been through uh, the kinds of uh, combat that he experienced could expect that it would probably take 12 years off his life. That's what the cost would be on his expected lifespan. Zamperini said he made it his quest to get those 12 years back. Zamperini died this last July at age 97. He, talked, he also talked, by the way, about when you suffer and people who've gone, this is true of a lot of people who have veterans of wars that they don't talk about it. Some of you have relatives or people you know who just... They can't talk about it. They won't talk about it. It's too traumatic. And Zamperini, when he talked to veterans, has said, it is essential that you learn to talk about it, that you learn, because if you don't, it will eat you up from the inside out. And he said, forgiveness equals freedom. 
And of course, there is a very, very clear principle in the Word of God about that. If you've got Matthew, take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, telling people about how the kingdom was really designed to work. This is, this is like the handbook for being a human being. And there are a whole lot of ideas and contrasts out there. And, and even the law was kind of twisted and interpreted in different ways, the Old Testament law. And this is what Jesus says. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbors. And, and, and this got added, and hate your enemies. No one's going to argue with that. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. In other words, so that you can reflect another person. The Father in heaven, you will, you will be a reflection like a child looks like their father so that you will be sons of your father in heaven because he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the uh, the righteous and the unrighteous. Zamperini's uh, return gave him some perspective. Here's just a very short summary of what happened. Take a look. Zamperini decided to commit himself to a lifetime of forgiveness and that meant he had to go back to Japan to see the prison guards who tried so hard to destroy him. You forgave your Japanese enemies. Do you think Americans forgive enough? No, I think with the hardest day in life, I said, this forgive. Hate yourself to shock you. If you hate somebody, you're not hurting a person, you're hate, you're hurting yourself. And uh, that's a healing. Actually, it's a real healing. Forgiveness. The Bible, here's, here, take a look at another, this is a parallel passage, the one we just read. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, said it, it has a couple of other statements. Uh, Luke 6 says this, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop from taking your tunic. And you've heard this, it's the golden rule, right? Do to others as you would have them do to you. There's a principle of following, being a follower of God and a follower of Jesus Christ, which is he came to be a forgiver. We are invited to do the same thing. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. This is a pattern. Forgive in the same way the Lord forgave you. The applications of that are pretty obvious. And it raises a question. As you enter 2015, Are you harboring hatred towards someone? Revenge, the desire, ill will. Louis Zamperini said, hatred and revenge are like a boomerang that only return to wound the thrower. So we've got Matthew, take a look at Matthew, Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. If you forgive men... When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That whole carrying of the weight follows us when we live with resentments and anger. And again, I found myself thinking, the things that I have held grudges against people for are so petty compared to what this guy experienced. How can a man do that? How can he forgive like that? And here's the principle, that releasing the demand for punishment, it's a mark of the touch 
of Jesus Christ in somebody's life. And all that leads to the third principle. I, don't, I think the most important one. It's not just the strength of the human spirit. It's not even just the power of forgiveness. It's this principle. And this one doesn't get told in the movie. It shows up as a little footnote, barely. If you read the book, you see more of it. And that is this principle, that the one adversary, there is one adversary that an unbroken spirit cannot overcome. Because something happened when Zamperini got back from his experience. He descended into rage and depression and PTSD, alcohol and nightmares. This, here's a very quick summary. Take a look from a, another uh, clip about him. And Louis Zamperini was liberated. He arrived in the U.S. within a month. The war is over. I'm alive. But now it's a whole new life. The American hero was visiting a celebrity, but found the time to fall in love with Cynthia Applewood. He proposed 10 days after meeting her, but couldn't shake his demons. Now I got married, I had a little girl, I was still talking right and waking up with her, screaming, shining like a, a bird, and one night I actually shackled my wife in my dream, and she got scared. Doing some drinking too? Well, that's all I did. I drank, uh, I just figured the more I drank, the, the, the better I'd sleep at night. So I was out every night drunk. My wife refused to go with me. And uh, she decided on a divorce and had her rights for a divorce. See the irony? Here's the most tenacious spirit that many have ever heard of. Somebody who stays resilient, somebody who will not allow themselves to be broken, somebody who perseveres through everything and beats every enemy. And the one enemy, the one adversary that he cannot handle is himself. He can't control himself. He can't defeat his own heart. He discovers firsthand what God says about our condition. And now if you go to Romans... I invite you to take a look at Romans chapter 7. Because this is what God says about your heart and mine. uh, Chapter 7, verse 14, the end of that verse says that we are unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. If you look at verse 18, this is the description that's given about the condition you and I have. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. If you skip to verse 23, the whole thing talks about it, but verse 23 says it just very pointedly. What a, or It says, uh, I see another law at work in the members of my body. It's waging war against the law of my mind, and it makes me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? That's a question that gets asked. That is... That is the adversary that Louis Zamperini could not endure. He could not overcome. Very very pointedly, it just says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And it says, without hope and without God in the world, the most tenacious, unbroken spirit humanity can produce meets its match in its own heart. Louis Zamperini could not overcome that. And like he says, he's married, he has a baby girl, his wife is going to divorce him. He's tormented by nightmares, tormented by passions and rage. He, is, he cannot defeat this. And then something happens. 
And you won't see it in the movie, but something happened in 1949 in Los Angeles. Louis Zamperini, you're going to see it just in a minute. He, he has an experience where he goes to the Los Angeles crusade of a young guy named Billy Graham. By the way, the Los Angeles crusade of Billy Graham is what put Billy Graham on the map. It was the one that catapulted him to national and then international attention. And in that experience, something happened. And I could summarize it, but you know what? I'm going to just stand back for a few minutes and compile from several different resources and interviews. I would like you to hear what happened in Louis Zamperini's own words. This is his story. Take a look. Haunted by nightmares, he turned to alcohol. Then, in a last-ditch effort to save his marriage and perhaps his life, Zamperini joined his wife Cynthia at a prayer service led by a young Billy Graham. His wife came to Christ at the crusade and had good news for Louis. She said, because of my conversion, Louis, I'm not going to get a divorce. Boy, I was happy. Then she had really strong Christian friends were all over me, and I avoided them like a plague. Louis reluctantly went with his wife, only to storm out of the tent that first night.
And I started to leave when I thought about that. I thought, you know, he bought me whole life, and here I am turning my back on him. So I got to the main aisle, I turned to the right and went back to the prayer room, and there I made a confession of my faith in Christ. That night, Louis gave his life to Jesus Christ. I got off of my knees, somehow I knew I was still getting drunk. I knew it. I also knew that I forgave all my guardian fruit of the bird. I knew it. And I think proof of that is I had nightmares every night about the bird since the war and after the war. And the night I made my decision for Christ, I haven't had a nightmare since. The footage you saw was actually from the message he heard that day. And one of the passages that got read to him is in Romans. Romans 5, if you want to take, you can take a look at Romans 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were still powerless, when we were still powerless, incapable of overcoming our own selves, our own condition. When we were in that position, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die, but this is what he heard. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You go to Romans chapter 8, verse 2, says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man. Ephesians 2 says something that's just a profound truth that Louis Zamperini transformed his life when it says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Louis Zamperini admitted his powerlessness and he bowed and embraced the living, risen Jesus Christ. It was not Louis Zamperini's human spirit that transformed him. Did you hear that? It was not his tenacity or his resolve or his will. He says that he was empowered and enabled to forgive because of the presence and forgiveness of Jesus Christ in his own life. He says he was a new man because of Jesus Christ. He was unbroken by life but he was undone by Jesus Christ. He said this about himself, and I would absolutely agree, that the most courageous thing that Louis Zamperini ever did, the most powerful thing, the most courageous thing, was when he surrendered to the one and only one who could free him forever. And the question that that raises for us, where it all comes down to is this. Has that been true of you yet? 
You've got people you can f- need to forgive, and maybe that's something worth considering. You've got adversity worth overcoming, and that is worth doing. But the bottom line, the most important thing, is have you been undone by Jesus Christ? Have we come to the place where we recognize that the adversary that we cannot defeat, that our spirit cannot overcome, can, o- can be overcome by a personal faith bowing to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He can do that. He doesn't, doesn't mean that from this moment on you will never sin. It doesn't mean you won't face adversity. But what it does mean is He will give you a power that you cannot conjure within yourself to face the adversary that will, has defeated us the whole time of our lives. He can do it in a moment. And it comes by coming to the feet of the risen Jesus Christ and surrendering to Him. That's the invitation of somebody who's unbroken. Would you pray with me? Let's bow together in prayer.